In college, I was having a conversation with other students who were studying abroad in India alongside me. We were thrust into this experience together, having come from different schools and backgrounds, and we had many opportunities to talk about the different ways that we saw the world. And I happened to be one of the only Christians in our secular bunch of students. And during one of our talks, I was talking about peacemaking from a Jesus perspective. Nonviolence modeled after Jesus and lived out like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. taught. Important underpinnings of my faith and denominational background that shaped my worldview. And I remember one of the fellow American students saying, Katie, that is so cute. I was offended, shocked, belittled. My worldview was cute. Puppies are cute. Babies are cute. Seeking a nonviolent life modeled after Jesus felt to me far from cute. I can only imagine that this fellow student thought my belief was easy, simple-minded, and pitted against the true test of time and humanity, it would crumble. Belief is one of the most straightforward and most convoluted concepts we can get into. This story with Mary and Elizabeth and a bit of Zechariah is grounded in belief. Those who have it and those who don't. Those who were exalted for believing and those who were brought low for not believing. The Feast of the Visitation was on May 31st and celebrates this visit between Mary and Elizabeth. This story gives voice to two women with meaningful parts to play in God's redemptive story. In this story, for the past six months, Elizabeth has been living with her silent husband, who has been rendered quiet because, in the angel Gabriel's words, he did not believe my words. So when Elizabeth greets Mary, she praises her, saying, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. I imagine Zechariah sitting quietly in the corner, and Elizabeth giving her husband a knowing glance. Blessed is she who believed. Poor, silent Zechariah. In Zechariah's response to the angel Gabriel, I hear his own doubt and shortcomings coming to the surface. He asks, how can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. What you say, what you ask is impossible. We can't deliver what you're asking, God. We're old. Zechariah can't imagine how they could have a child. Odds aren't in their favor. And like other parents who've struggled with infertility, they've already been disappointed by dashed hopes again and again. We can empathize with Zechariah's hesitation to trust again, to try again. What's being told to him or being asked of him is impossible. And he's been let down before. We have times in our lives where we struggle to trust because we've been burned before or because we're not willing to go out on a limb. Because we can clearly see that is a weak and fragile limb and we're not going out there. And Zechariah was hesitant to trust or make sense of the request. From Zechariah's response, from his excuses, we can ask ourselves, what excuses do we give God? Maybe we say, I'm too old, I'm too young, too busy, 
not smart enough or eloquent enough or rich enough or whatever we stop we say to stop ourselves from opening us to God's request of us. Anything we can do to protect ourselves from letting God down, right? Or is that just a sermon for me? <laughs> Zechariah knew the calculations. He knew the odds. They were pretty much impossible. On the surface, he seems like the reasonable one. He's the one who understands how the world works. And he's been through it to know it's just not in the cards for him and Elizabeth. Then we turn to Mary's story and her visit with Gabriel. Her odds are impossible. A virgin pregnancy? Her pathway to belief is that much more insurmountable. But she responds in faith. I am the servant of the Lord. May what you say happen. Was Mary's belief cute? Was her willingness to believe naive and pitiable? I don't like to think so. Her belief affirms that she's willing to say yes to God's great big ask of her because God will be with her. The angel Gabriel doesn't give any foreshadowing of the pain to come of what Mary will experience as the father of Christ, as the mother, excuse me, of Christ. But we can imagine the societal shame she would be thrust into as a pregnant, unwed woman. And that could be enough to deter her from even saying yes. Another aspect where her pathway to belief was that much more complicated, Zachariah's prayers were literally being answered. The angel Gabriel comes and says, this is an answer to your prayers. They were praying for this. And he was getting what he and Elizabeth had prayed for. Mary didn't even ask for this. I know that there are some who would say, what we're doing here is cute, naive. Trying to live an intentional community, honoring a rhythm of prayer, trying in the ways we can to bring healing and wholeness to the city and to help create a space for others to experience respite from their busy, hectic lives. But I think it's one of the hardest endeavors that one could seek to undertake. Intentional community brings incredible blessing, but also incredible complications and demands. It asks for a time commitment and a deepening of relationship and trust that some people only find in a romantic partnership. Seeking healing is no walk in the park either, because it demands that we are doing our own healing and inner work, which is meaningful but also hard to face our own demons or to those who have wronged or hurt us. I've heard some former residents laugh and remember and say, I think we would have killed each other if we weren't praying three times a day. <laughs> and this endeavor might look cute, but it's hard and worthwhile in the pursuit of something bigger than ourselves. Was Mary naive to trust and believe? Some would look at her and say so. Some might look at us and say that we're naive to trust God in any of the situations that we find ourselves that we're naive to be guided by the Spirit of God rather than only the calculations of man. The calculations of man have gotten us into many a mess and can only get us so far. We need the Spirit of God to lead us, and we are called to respond as Mary. Here we are, servants of the Lord. Richmond Hill is here because the Spirit of God spoke louder than the bids of developers for this land when the nuns were selling this property. 
We might look naive to try living and working together in this old monastery, trying to model the beloved community, but the Spirit of God wills us to do so. And as long as God wills it, we'll be here. As one of the co-pastors, I've been on the lookout for companions in this journey, other intentional communities, other retreat centers, other spiritual schools in which to learn from and partner with. And I don't think I need to tell you this, most of you, but there's no one else out there quite like Richmond Hill. God has already helped Richmond Hill to do an impossible thing by converting this old monastery into a modern retreat center that holds an intentional community that honors a rhythm of prayer centered around healing for the city and supports outreach ministries making a difference in underinvested communities and is unearthing the sordid and resilient history of this land on top of this hill and invests in the spiritual flourishing of this metropolitan community and so on. That Richmond Hill does all of that is already impossible and cannot be done by sheer human willpower alone. God's Spirit has supported this impossible endeavor. Amen? Amen. We're entering our strategic planning process, and this is a season of dreaming, imagining, and believing. We are in this period of tension, perhaps we've always been, between making sound decisions and calculations and decisions made by faith. And really, discernment is a bit of both, as the Ray Ponder, our council vice president, reminds us. Discernment is making the best decision we can with God. For me, that's the exciting part. That is the sweet part. What lies at the intersection of our gathering of information, input, opinions, and dreams, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. What impossible thing might God ask of us? And will we bring our belief along with it? Mary's song, The Magnificat, is not a quiet, quaint song, but one of promises fulfilled and God's commitment to humanity from generation to generation. She sings of these promises as if they have already been fulfilled. Every night at evening prayer at Richmond Hill, we recite the Magnificat, the Canticle of Mary, just as you all did tonight. We read that together every night. And once you sink into this rhythm over many months, there comes a moment where you realize the words have imprinted on you in the same way as the Lord's Prayer might have. Sometimes repetition can feel rote, but there's also a sacredness to the words of Mary imprinting on our hearts and lips so that if we begin to say, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit, residence, where are you? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We could all recite it together. When we struggle with belief, we have Mary's words of assurance. And we say them every night together. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel. Put your name in that place. He has come to the aid of his servant Daniel, his servant Lindsay, his servant Jim. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. One of the most beautiful things about this cute, foolish endeavor is that we're not called to belief alone. One time I was leading a prayer service here in the chapel and I had already passed off my squirmy baby to fellow resident Daniel at his offering, and he bounced and soothed him while I read scripture and prayers. 
In addition to the Canticle of Mary, we have an opportunity to memorize the Casa del Sol prayer, which is a variation on the Lord's Prayer because we recite it so often. In this instance, I had decided to be bold while leading prayer and led from memory and did not read it from the back of the printed book. You might see where this is going. It worked until my memory failed (laughs) and I stopped and I panicked. (laughs) And Daniel, across the chapel, bouncing my baby, chimed in with the next words, and we all finish the prayer together. Sometimes the belief of Mary is hard because sometimes I do feel jaded like Zechariah and the belief doesn't come easy. One of the gifts that Gabriel gives Mary is a companion going through something similar. He shares, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age And she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary has a community in which to believe impossible things are possible with God because she needs it. We need it. We can't be on this impossible journey alone. We need each other to help our unbelief. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed are those who believe the promises made to them by God would be fulfilled. Blessed are we when we're buoyed by the faith of others and we struggle to believe. May we know this endeavor to believe in God's word is not cute, but is powerful enough to topple kingdoms and transform the world. In the face of God's impossible big asks of us, may we say, here we are the servants of the Lord. May it be so. Amen.